0: We're going to be looking into Colossians chapter 4 this evening, and as the Apostle Paul sends various greetings and uh, commends certain co-laborers, we're going to be reading some salutation and his greetings, and uh, in this greeting we may draw an incredible warning If you please. And of course, uh, Scripture is filled with blessing and it's filled with warning. And we need the warnings as much as we need the exhortations and the encouragements. And so let's seek the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we thank Thee for Thy holy word, and we rejoice that by the wondrous mercies and grace that Thou hast shown us, That thou hast made known to us that thy Son, our Savior, came into this world to save such sinners as we. And, Father, we desire to behold his beauties, his glories, and the wonder of redeeming love. And as we, Father, consider the greatness of thy salvation, we ask thee that thou wouldst be pleased to set a guard upon our hearts. For as we look into thy word this night, we find some very solemn things in our consideration of thy truth. We stand in need of the work and the enablement and the empowerment of thy Holy Spirit. Our Father, we ask thee to enable thy grace that by thy mercy we would receive thy truth aright. There are so many distractions in this world, so many sins in the flesh that attempt to distract that we stand in need of the greatness of thy mercy to overcome the things that dwell within our flesh and to lead us into the knowledge of thy truth and ever increasing our understanding of thyself. Grant this for thy glory. We thank thee in the blessed name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We're going to be looking particularly at two verses. We're coming close to our conclusion of the study through this epistle to the Colossians. But we read in verses 15 and 16 of Colossians chapter 4, Salute the brethren which are in Laodicea and Nymphos and the church which is in his house. And when this epistle is read among you, cause that to be read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. Well, there's one thing for sure. When we read the epistles of the Apostle Paul, they're filled with Christ. They're filled with the declaration of who he is, why he came, the glory of grace in salvation, and giving us very impractical instructions as to the way we are to outlive our lives in Christ. This is the one, of course, who could say, we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. It is our blessed Savior who in his glorious person, and according as we understand his effectual redemption, and his present and eternal lordship, his unchangeable love and grace and mercies, and all that's revealed of the beauties of his character, that is to be set forth before us, and that continually, and that in his word, and no beauty like his when God opens our eyes to behold him and to come to realize the gloriousness and the wondrousness of a love that has redeemed us, by the offering of himself for our sins. It's he who is to have the first place preeminent always in our hearts, in our desires, in our activities. He's to have the supreme place in everything. He's to be worshipped, obeyed, served, and that in full fervency of the heart. We read in Colossians about the church of the Laodiceans and the only other place we read about the Laodiceans is found in the third chapter of the book of Revelation and uh, that when we compare it with this passage in Colossians is incredible and what we're to learn concerning it of course uh, Laodicea was a major commercial commercial center it was bigger than Colossae, and uh, in it was uh, implanted a people. A church was founded through the preaching of the gospel of the Son of God, and a people came to love the Lord Jesus Christ, and they loved him, obviously, above everything in this fallen world. And this church stood in need of the same fortifying truths as the Colossians and so they were to read the epistle from Colossae and or that was sent to Colossae and then uh, the Laodiceans uh, of course would send an epistle uh, to Colossae and we shall learn later and consider something about the epistle from Laodicea because it's not in the canon of scripture of course And we'll consider why, and uh, the likely reason that we may learn uh, from from history, the history of these things. There is uh, no indication that Laodicea was taken in by the false teaching of the Judeo-Gnostics, that is, those who taught a false mysticism along with legalism, and uh, Preached a gospel constituted a false gospel and a deadly gospel. For if the gospel is not the gospel that God gave or a modification of it in Scripture, it has the anathema, the curse of God upon it, and that, of course, is a very solemn thing. The problem, the problem likely arose in the second generation of Laodicea. If, as tradition and historically, I believe, is shown to be the case, that the book of Revelation was written in the last part of the first century, about 96 A.D., then we have another generation in the book of Revelation than that from which we read of in Colossians. The same thing with the Ephesians. Uh, Ephesians, of course, was another epistle that the, Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul wrote, sent from this same Roman imprisonment and uh, to the Ephesians. And, of course, we have one of the highest, we would term, doctrinal epistles in the New Testament in Ephesians. And as uh, uh, they came to adopt and strictly hold to the truth, that next generation that's written to in the book of Revelation— By that time, they had firmly held to the right doctrine, but had left their first love. So we assume the same situation is with the Laodiceans, because the Laodiceans, of course, would receive this epistle at this time, and then the next generation would get some solemn news as... John the Apostle on the Isle of Patmos was given to send it to them. They would receive pointed words which should have pierced hearts and gave an incredible warning. The Lord Jesus says to them, Because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. What piercing words those are. The adversary works very hard, not just in a generational sense, but even in you and me. He works very hard to move us from our Lord, from the distractions, using the distractions of the world. And uh, even if it's not, not by the corruptions of the mind, he will use the world to try to draw our hearts away and place that heart upon things that are perishing, that are going to pass, instead of the eternal things of our Lord and our Lord himself. He wants to move our attention from the Lord Jesus Christ to things. How many seem to start really well? How many seem to come to be zealous? fervent they they want to be where the word of god is proclaimed they want to be a light of witness in this world they want to fervently seek the lord and, and know him in truth and then little by little things creep in to distract and to move the heart that can happen in an individual as well as in a church and as well as in the next generation it's amazing what can happen in one generation in Scripture. You read that in Scripture, the generation that went into Canaan under the leadership of Joshua. That generation was the, the highest, the closest to God, the most fervent and in his truth, and the most filled with faith of any generation in, in Israel. The next generation became idolaters. That's a solemn thing, a very solemn thing. Of course we have the warning in hebrews chapter 2 that we're not to neglect so great salvation how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation which at the first began to be spoken by the lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him were not our hearts moved to great wonder and love and joy and desire to be given up completely to our blessed savior when we come to know who he is, the incarnate deity, the Lord of glory, the second person of the triune Godhead, the Holy One, who came into this world to offer himself for our sins, who bore all the wrath of God and all the punishment against sin in our place. And we marveled at such love. We came to love him. We wanted him to have us all about us, everything about us belonging to him. Laodicea would become lukewarm by the world and its enticements, little by little, obviously, entering the heart. So the admonition of Solomon must be fervently heeded by us. When God instructs us in his word, we need the work and grace of his Holy Spirit to enable us to lay hold in all seriousness upon what he teaches us. As Solomon teaches us and uh, shows us the wondrousness of God's right ways then he says in Proverbs four twenty-three, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. You see, our knowing our Lord is a heart matter. A church that was obviously at one time so rich in the true riches. As Paul even wrote to the Colossians and applied to Laodicea in the second chapter, all riches, a full assurance, a full understanding, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ, in whom he hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Things changed. Rather, the riches of this world took their heart. The ease and pleasures that they could gain from that took away their heart. So that they became the poorest of the poor spiritually, though they were rich in the goods of this world. And the Lord Jesus had to send the message to them through his messenger. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. What a charge against a church that began so well, a people. Of course, the church is the people, not the building. The modern counterpart of Laodicea is found in Many, quote, evangelical churches may not be to deny some of the essential truths of the gospel, but to incorporate the world and the ways of the world, because Christ and the eternal riches in him alone are not enough. When the people came out of Egyptian bondage, They came out with a mixed multitude. The mixed multitude came out of Egypt with them. But Egypt did not come out of them. It was still in them. God help us to have Christ, our Lord, our Savior, and his wondrous, vicarious death for us his supreme lordship his word always first always central in our hearts and so also in our services as we gather in his holy name and the only way he's going to be supreme and worshipped and adored and loved and served in truth is by people whose hearts are in him and for him and toward him. It must be from the people. Well, Laodicea evokes in us the thoughts of a lukewarm people, a lukewarm church, because of what the Lord Jesus Christ said concerning them. Probably Like Ephesus, they would keep the outward forms. But the heart was not in Christ. It was not in the things of God. It was in the things of the world. Obviously, it was not always that way. So the Apostle Paul writes in Colossians 4, verse 15, Salute the brethren which are in Laodicea, and Nymphos and the church which is in his house. Obviously, when this church of the Laodiceans was formed, when its members were called out of this world and called unto the Lord Jesus Christ and were joined to him by faith and to one another by common life in him. Salute the brethren. He's talking about those who are in Christ it could be said of them that he, the Lord Jesus Christ, was all and in all to them. Yea, what so truly believing, truly redeemed from sin by the very blood of the Lord Jesus Christ one who beholds him in a love that he loves with it was totally, completely undeserved, giving his life freely out of that love, what soul that has come to know him does not in some way cry out, now to be thine, yea, thine alone. O Lamb of God, I come. Not belonging to this world system anymore. Not belonging even to myself anymore. Not seeking my own things in my own way, but the will of our Lord to guide our lives. And you, who by the grace of God have been saved, you come to know of your own wretched, sinful state, And Christ came to save sinners. Oh, how wondrous he saves the vilest of sinners to the uttermost. Beholding Christ, crucified. Receiving, believing redemption from sin. Given the gift of eternal life in him as we considered last Lord's Day or last Sunday afternoon. Not simply an unending life, but the qualitative life of Christ given to the believer. In regeneration. What a gift. Freed from the bondage that otherwise would have brought you to eternal destruction and eternal hell. Do you not want the Lord Jesus above everything in this world? Do you not want him to be the supreme object of your heart's desire and your striving? When realizing that not because of you, not because of anything you do or ever could do for him, knowing that you did everything against him. Yet in spite of you, by his sovereign will alone, he came to love you personally, to make his love known, giving the supreme sacrifice to redeem you to himself, not just to forgive you, to make you his, to belong to him. Did not not draw upon your heart to make him first preeminent at all times every day in everything. And to come to live by the faith of the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you. Surely then, faith, hope, love Three grand characteristics of those who are truly born of God. Faith, hope, love. A living trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Bringing submission to him as your Lord. Believing and laying hold of the promise of eternal inheritance with him. and come to love him supremely. And come to love those who are of the same precious faith with him. Obviously, at one time, at the time when the Apostle Paul wrote this Colossian epistle, it marked the Laodiceans as true. Because again, in chapter 2, in verses 1 through 3, he writes, for I would that you knew what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love, and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgment of the mystery of God and of the Father and Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. What happened? What happened to that church? What happened to that church that were filled with the knowledge of Christ and his wondrous grace? What happened to those who realized their riches were in him and their inheritance was not in this world, but in the most glorious eternal things with him? What happened to them? Vibrant, obviously, in the days of Paul, in love with Christ, and willing instruments in his hand for fervent doing his will, being a true witness in the world. But eventually, having to hear the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot I will spew thee out of my mouth what a solemn message not all of them no there was evidently a small number among them who were real because the Lord would say to them they also have been carried away as many as I love I rebuke and chasten Be zealous, therefore, and repent, because those he loves sovereignly, which bespeaks a love that was not on the whole of them, but on a part of them, that were remaining in that generation there. They would hear the words, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. Primarily, that's not a salvation verse, though it can be used. Primarily... That's a verse that says, I will commune with you. I will sup with you. That's a word of sweet fellowship in Scripture. So there were a few, even in Laodicea. But for the majority, what happened to the church? What could turn us From such a fervent, self giving love for the Lord Jesus Christ, from a willingness to forsake all in truth to follow Him, from a heart that would cry, All for Christ, no cost too high, no sacrifice too painful, if the loss is for Him. What would cause one to turn from that and choose the world? Do we not, by nature, love our comforts, our ease, our pleasures? Do we not? Unless there's something in our hearts that something is incredibly more important than the things of this world. Loved so much that it would move us to forsake our own comforts. To go after, we know the thing we love above all else. To go after at whatever cost. If that be not the case, will we not gravitate to that which is easier? Our comfort zone, to use the world's language. By nature... By nature, we seek that which is more comfortable. We don't like it hot or cold by nature. We get in the shower and it's cold, what do we do? Turn up the temperature. We get in the shower and it's hot, what do we do? Turn down the temperature. We want it right where it's supposed to be. Comfortable. God has given us what we have in this world. He gives some of his people more and some of his people less. Those with the more have the bigger trial, actually. So you hear the scripture saying, Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. You read in James about the rich who looked down upon the poor, and sometimes when they were laborers for the rich they would defraud them of what belonged to them James says the poor of this world rich in faith heirs of the kingdom that eternal kingdom of God God has given us what we have and we should recognize that Even those who struggle with little. It's for their good. But can we not seek our joys and find our hearts taken up with the gifts God gives rather than the giver? That's a solemn thing that can be done. If all we have is not used for the glory of God and not for praise and thanksgiving to him. If he is not the source recognized of all we have, whether our time, our treasure, or our talents, our true riches only in Christ and that eternal riches If that's not the case, our time, our activities, our seeking will be for self and neglect of that which is eternal and most essential. The Laodiceans, they would not quit working. They would not not stop gathering in their services. They would not give up outward forms. But they would become apathetic. The world and the things they had in it would take precedence over and every day taking up the cross to follow the Lord Jesus Christ until the solemn words of Christ would come to them. I know thy works, That thou art neither cold nor hot, because they were blinded by the crept-in world and the things of it. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. This world, it doesn't have to be great riches as we think of. This world, occupying time with the things of this world, will cool the heart, will distract the mind, will bring darkness, and I think that's happened in this modern day in which we live. Israel of old was commanded, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. But they came to the place where they kept their religious services. They went through the motion. And yet, the Lord Jesus exposed their true desire. Your heart is far from me. You teach for doctrines, the commandments of men. It was said long before of Ezekiel, who was a type of Christ, The people would come, they would sit before him, they would hear him, they would even rejoice in what he said, like by playing an instrument. They're people that seem to be entertained by preaching. That's a strange thing, isn't it? But they went away. And their heart went after their covetousness. Once out from under that, they sought what they really desired. Don't we do that? Don't we make plans and seek and become enamored in what we really want to do? Don't we do that? Sure we do. How many how many could say with David, this one thing I desire. He wanted to be in the house of God, to behold the beauties of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. But when Colossians was written, the Laodicean church was a true family of God. He salutes the brethren. Brethren joined to Christ and joined to one another. Though Laodicea stands as a warning to any who are tempted to lay down the cross and to seek their comforts in the world, yet it began as a vibrant church in love with the Lord Jesus Christ and with one another in him. When the interests of your brothers and sisters in Christ is above your own, when a giving, forgiving love moves you to seek the spiritual good of fellow believers, when self-interest is sacrificed for the good of the gospel and those saved by it, then the gospel has done its regenerating work as we learn in Scripture. As Peter himself would teach in 1 Peter chapter 1, we're to be fervent in our love one for another. Being born again, not not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever, for all flesh is grass. And all the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. Well, the apostle salutes the Laodiceans. The Lord Jesus had to reprove them and to lay to their charge something incredible concerning their lukewarm, apathetic hearts toward the things of God. But then the apostle also says in verse 16 of Colossians 4, And when this epistle is read among you, cause that it be read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that ye likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. Well, the same truth. Is universal. It's for all of God's people, to whomever it may be addressed, as we learn here. Belongs to all the saints in all ages. The scriptures alone, the Bible, the Word of God, is always our only rule for faith and practice. And as such, it applies at all times to all of God's people, in all ages, whatever time period, whatever geographical location, whatever condition they are in in this world. The writings of Paul, as well as all New Testament writers, has the same divine inspiration as the Old Testament Scripture, just as Peter equates Paul's writings in 2 Peter 3 to the apostles and calls them Scripture. God spoke through him. The apostle Paul could say to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 37, If any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. It didn't come from him. It came from the Lord. It came through him. The same dangers that faced the Colossians, faced the Laodiceans. Different forms still face, still we face those dangers. The same truth that is to govern faith, and the same one, the same gospel. That was the warfare of the apostles, to establish the one gospel of God's saving grace in Christ, the one gospel of God's wondrous, sovereign grace, the salvations of God that is in his sovereign hands, that he sent his Son into this world to save sinners, that he called effectually, that he gives the wondrous gift of faith that he brings to repentance, that he makes known the Lord of glory to the hearts of those chosen by him. That's all in his sovereign hands. The apostles established that firmly. And just as the same gospel, the gospel of the Son of God, the gospel of the grace of God, the gospel of the cross, is the eternal never-to-be-varied truth all the way to the end of time. So the word from which we learn it is to be always our only authority. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. How important then to be constantly under the experience of the Word of God. God ordained Preaching to be central. Not just preaching for preaching's sake. The preaching of the Word of God. The preaching of Christ crucified. The preaching of the gospel that God gave in His Word to be central in all services. Otherwise, it would be a sham to call the gathering of the church a worship service. And the warning is given that we're to strictly hold to God's word. In Isaiah chapter 8, verse 20, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. We're not to compromise it. We're not to cut it. It's the most serious thing you'll ever do to open the scriptures and try to teach someone and compromise what God has given when that's done, little by little, the truth can go. There should not be a single day that time, good quality time, is not given first and foremost to a personal reading, study, and prayerful seeking of the Word of God, to be a doer of the Word not a hearer only. But what happened to the epistle from Laodicea? Stated at the beginning of our consideration tonight that uh, we would consider this. What happened to the epistle from Laodicea? Has part of Holy Scripture been lost? Well, it can be essentially, I think, narrowed to one of two possibilities. I think the second one carries the greatest weight in its favor. Of course, the first possibility is the reality that not all of the writings of the apostles carried the same divine inspiration. What we have in the completed canon of Scripture is that which is overseen by the work of the Holy Spirit, given by divine inspiration. God breathed. That's what that really means, the Spirit of God working in men, keeping them from error, giving them to write only what God determined that would be written, giving His Word, word for word. Nothing to be added to it. Nothing to be taken from it. There could have been a letter written to the Laodiceans that addressed some issues that would particularly apply to them and their situation and then have also important instructions for the Colossians. But it doesn't say the epistle to the Laodiceans. It says the epistle from Laodicea. Words are important. To begin with, it's not said to be, then, an epistle written to them, but one that would come from them and be carried to the Colossians, as the one from Colossae would be sent to Laodicea. We know from the study of Colossians that it was Tychicus, one Tychicus who brought the epistle. Tychicus also took the epistle to Ephesus as well, as we learn from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 21. So we have very good reason to think that Ephesians was sent as a circular letter to all the churches of the region and that it would first be carried to Laodicea, the major place, more so than Colossae, then carried from Laodicea to Colossae. whatever the epistle from Laodicea We can rest assured that in our possessions is the complete Word of God. Everything God determined to give us in the 66 books of this divine, glorious library, if you please. Everything we need is herein. All we need in order to learn of our Lord, to learn of His ways, to learn of our responsibilities. All we need to embrace the promises and the glorious truths of the gospel God has given us, complete in his word. The psalmist wrote, God gave the word. Great was the company of them that published it. Ours is to hear the charge our Lord gives us, and with all diligence seek to learn of our Lord and his will for us in the Bible the word of God. Take heed what ye hear. For with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you, and unto you that hear shall more be given. If it is taken heed to, if it's given its proper supreme place in our heart and lives to learn of our Lord, to learn of our God, to learn the right ways of the Lord and walk in his truth. We truly, diligently, daily take our cross to follow our Lord and seek His ways and His word. The Lord says you're going to have more. You're going to increase. You're not going to decrease. You're not going to be taken away by the things of the world. You're not going to become apathetically lukewarm. You're going to grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But it's a heart matter. Where our desires really are. Is it not? May God bless the ministry of His Holy Word.